Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. It just so happens that uh, today is Torah study number 50. Who knows what the number 50 means in the kingdom of God? Yeah, Jubilee, right? That means a great time of redemption, a great time of restoration, a great time of restitution. If the devil's stolen anything from us, we call it back into our lives. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. May it return unto us in every way. Praise God. And so, yeah, today's Torah study is begins in Deuteronomy 26.1. So you can open up your Bible to Deuteronomy 26.1 and uh, uh, mark that as number 50. I couldn't decide uh, on the, uh, the title of today's message, so I wrote three of them. And so you just choose whatever one you want. Uh, don't let the good old days be your memory. Amen. Or a healthy, ref- a healthy future requires that you let go of any bitter memories of the past. It's kind of a long one, but uh, it works. Or how God's love creates memories no devil can ever steal. I like that one. And so uh, as we get into today's study, uh, it's God is offering us uh, a hugely important perspective for believers in Jesus. Members of the family of God. Who, Who resembles that remark? Amen. Uh, in the opening scriptures in, here in Deuteronomy 26, there's a hidden connection that I want you to see between what God is telling Israel as they're ready to enter the promised land with a first fruit offering, its relationship to our biblical history and identity, and how we're meant to express that in our daily lives. Amen. So uh, let's get into this a little bit. God, uh, I'm going to read some of the scripture here in just a minute. But uh, one of the things that God is showing us here is the importance of a first fruit offering. And that comes three times a year, as we've learned, on Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. In ancient Hebrew, even to this day, uh, the Jewish people call the first fruits bikurim. Bikurim, and that means a promise of things to come. And that's the whole idea of sowing and reaping, isn't it? When I sow, I'm sowing towards something. It's not like, why do preachers always ask for money? It's that God's laid out a principle that when you give, it shall be what? Given unto you. And so uh, this is what's going on in Deuteronomy 26. Back in Bible times, this was all a very joyful event. 
Uh, nowadays, uh, giving uh, can sometimes just be dropping an envelope or a, a check or a bill in the bucket, and then it passes on, and uh, what you're thinking about it goes right with it. But when you, when you sow purposefully, in faith, with some kind of faithful declaration and expectation that elevates that offering. God will respect it either way, but in, in fact, he'll respect it more when you sow it with words of faith. Amen. Amen. This is what leads you into a miracle harvest. And so during uh, this ancient biblical ceremony that we're going to read here in just a second, each person had to make a special declaration in giving this uh, first fruit offering. And it came right out of the Bible, right out of the Torah. And uh, it became a well-known passage, not only for first fruits, but it was also brought into the Seder dinner, the Haggadah, as the Jews would tell the story, what God gives them here became part of what they would celebrate. And even to this day, what celebrated uh, on that very first night. Why? is this night different than any other night? And so reading from Deuteronomy uh, 26.1, God says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, with this gift, I acknowledge, here's come some of the speech, the language that God's saying to use when you sow this offering. With this gift, I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors that he would give us. Then the priest uh, will take the basket from your hand, set it before the altar of the Lord your God. Now here's the rest of the speech in verse 5. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived, few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. And when the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and he heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then... You place the produce before the Lord your God, bow to the ground in worship before him. Amen at the reading of the word. And and what we're reading here is a special speech that each Jew was supposed to recite as part of sowing this miracle offering. 
And, and the reason, part of the reason anyways, is God wants to commemorate the entrance into the promised land that flowed with milk and honey with the giving of a first fruit offering, then by making a historic speech and celebrating a miracle that was 400 years in the making. The Humash, the uh, Hebrew Bible, tells us that this offering expresses our gratitude that God is our eternal guide in all of, in Jews' case, in Jewish history. But now that we're grafted in, in all of Judeo history, it's God that's guiding us. And when I sow this offering, I'm remembering, I didn't get here on my own. I got here because I have a great shepherd that cares about me as one of the sheep of his, uh, his field. Amen. And I'm sowing and recognizing and appreciating the fact that all of my success, anything that I accomplish is due to him. Glory be to God. One of my favorite rabbis to read is Rabbi Sachs. S-A-C-K-S, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And he wrote this great article that I encourage you to read called A Nation of Storytellers. And uh, this is a little excerpt from what he wrote. He said, as Deuteronomy progresses, we discover that for the first time, the retelling of the nation's history becomes an obligation for every citizen of the nation. In other words, it's not just Moses' job to remember everything. It's not just Pastor Huck's job to remember everything. We're a nation, an army of God, and all of us have an obligation to remember what the Bible says about who we are in Christ. Jews were commanded, as it were, to become a nation of storytellers. Time and time again, the people are given the command to remember. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Remember what Amalek did to you. Remember what God did to Miriam. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your fathers. They will tell you. Ask the elders. And they'll explain to you. And the command was, in effect, God instructing the Jews to write their history. Amen? This is important. Because in biblical Hebrew, there is no word for history. You know, like we hear pastors say, that there's no word for coincidence. There's no word for history. The closest word in Hebrew is chronicles. But in, uh, in the, uh, the general sense and understanding, it, uh, God uh, uses the word memory. Now there's a big difference between history and memory. Because history can be someone else's story at some other place and time. But memory, you're right in the middle of what's going on because they're your memories. It's really memory becomes your story. 
And it's the past and internalized that makes up part of our identity, the rabbi teaches. So God has Israel begin to remember some certain things during this speech in Deuteronomy 26.1. And here he's admonishing Israel to remember the right things. Remember for sure that you were a slave, but also remember that through a mighty act of God, through my strong hand, I brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. He's transitioning the memory so it's not just focused on all the pain and suffering, but it's focused on the miracle power of God that saved and delivered uh, Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And what rabbi is teaching for uh, the Jewish people is just as true for Christians. See, we need to realize that all of those memories from our before Christ days that are painful and vex you, or the memories even uh, as a Christian. I mean, look, just because we're Christians doesn't mean people don't say mean things and hurt us and uh, bad things don't happen. But God is saying that in me, if you are a follower of me, those bad memories don't have to define you. This is why... For instance, in Galatians 4, 7, turn over there, Galatians 4, 7. It teaches, you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. There it is right there. You were a slave to sin. Whether you were a $5 sinner or a million dollar sinner, you had one foot in hell and the other one on an oil slick. Right? There's no one righteous. No, not one person can stand before God and say, I'm righteous on my own. I don't need you because I wasn't all that bad. So we were slaves. But we're no longer to see ourselves as slaves. We're to see ourselves as God's children. We are God's own children. Amen. And since, the Galatians goes on, since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Not heir Jordan. He's made you an heir to everything that he has. All the riches of heaven you're an heir to. It's your inheritance. So God is saying in through uh, Deuteronomy 26, through Galatians 4, that don't focus anymore on the slavery part. Don't focus on the pain. Focus on the promise. And that's a powerful principle that we need to embrace because it will help us all to live an overcoming life. Psychologists will uh, say, tell me what you remember and I'll tell you who you are. 
You can remember all sorts of things. I mean, every day is a memory. Right? Tell me what you remember, and I'll tell you who you are as a person. God loved Israel, and he loves you and I so much that he helps us to be more emotionally connected to the miracle of salvation, the miracle of deliverance, the miracle of being part of the kingdom of God, more than the pain, the suffering, and of sin and slavery. Right? Why? Because you are what you remember. Now we all know you can't go back in time unless you have a DeLorean. (laughs) Right? But the Holy Spirit can help you begin to change how you remember it. You might have had some awful things happen to you in your lifetime. Your family history might be just uh, uh, littered with all kinds of ungodliness and unholiness and unrighteousness. And the devil will use that to stir you up and keep you into, uh, into that mindset that this is your life and this is how you're defined. But through the power of God and the power of the Word, right, He can change how you feel about all of that. So that you're not a slave to those thoughts and emotions anymore. This is one of the concepts, one of the lessons that we get from Proverbs 23, 7. How many of you remember Proverbs 23, 7? As a man thinks... In his heart, inside of you, you might not tell me how you really think about your life and your past and your future, but uh, you know how you spend your time thinking. And as you think, so you are. Your memories form the basis of who you become. And what you're constantly dwelling on, whether it be positive or negative, determines who you are. It determines and shapes your personality. Your philosophy, your viewpoints, your values are all determined by what you're sitting there thinking about day after day after day. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else. Right? For it determines the course of your life. Your heart is your spirit and soul. And your soul is your mind and emotions and thinking. So guard that. Now that you're a believer, guard what God has done in your life. Did God save you? Were you going to hell in a handbasket? Were you on thin ice? Did you have one foot in hell and the other on a banana peel? And then God saved you and rescued you and set you free and put you on a path of life and blessing. Hallelujah. Remember that. This is what Philippians 4.8 teaches. Go over to Philippians 
Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. God's word is true. Your feelings might be faking it. But God's word is true. God never lies. God's word never fails. So fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Amen? Amen. Fix your thoughts on these things. You can't fix your thoughts on all the good things of God if you're all wrapped up in the emotions of how you went through pain and suffering. Look, rule number one in the world is people get hurt. There's no way, no way around that. And true, some people have gotten hurt more than others. But no matter what, we serve a God who is the healer of the broken heart. Amen? When you look back at Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, think about what the Lord told Moses to say to the Jewish people. We know they'd been enslaved in harsh bondage for over 200 years. And because of all of those torturous conditions, their hopes of ever seeing the promises of Abraham come to pass were all but destroyed. 200 years of harsh bondage. The memory of the covenant that God made with Abraham, all the promises that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all but forgotten. But God says to Moses, You go to the Israelites and you tell them this, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And that name was Yahweh. Yehovah. The the name above all names. And see, God is telling Israel that you need to start thinking about me as the God that sets you free. I am the God that has come to fulfill every promise. And Israel needed this because Egypt had seared their memory. They weren't seeing themselves as the chosen people. They weren't seeing themselves as having any kind of calling of God. Their identity was tied to slavery. And their their destiny was reduced to whatever the Egyptian masters thought of them. That's all they had. So back then and even now, an important part of the work of the Lord is to reconstruct our true identity. To reconstruct and reconnect us to our true ancestry. Are you getting anything out of this? God continued talking to Moses. You go assemble all the elders. And you say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery into the land that flows with milk and honey. Israel's breakthrough, spiritually as well as physically, was rooted in the promises of God. And God was reconnecting them with their destiny. You're destined to become kings and priests. You're destined to possess the promised land. You're going to build a nation that will change the world. Look, I understand, the Lord is saying in effect, that the last couple hundred years has been cruel. But I'm going to revive in you the promises of God. Amen? And so God is saying that all of those negative images, those negative memories had to be transformed. And I got to get Israel's mind, you as a new convert, you as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got to get you connected to a new heritage. I've got to get you connected to the idea that there is this grand inheritance. There is a divine destiny. But in order to do that, there's got to be some transformation. Rabbi uh, goes on to say this is why Jewish history, or excuse me, Jewish identity has been the most tenacious the world has ever seen. Their identity wasn't rooted in what happened to them in Egypt. They remember that. That's part of the story. But the part of the story isn't the pain and the suffering. That's not the part that I want you to live in. The part of the story I want you to live in that I, as Almighty God, brought you out of that and put you into a land that flows with milk and honey. This is your heritage. This is the memory that I want you to have. And every time you sow a first fruit offering, I want you to include as part of remembering what to remember... A speech that says, thank you, Lord, that I was down and out and you came in and rescued me and put me on a pathway of life and blessing. Amen. Our New Testament faith is so similar to what we're learning here. Because it's based on replacing the memories of our life before Christ with memories of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our identity, now that we're believers, more than anything else, is rooted and grounded in heavenly DNA. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is why God calls us new creations. If we're new creations in Christ, stop thinking about all the bad stuff that happened and make that the defining moments of your life. Don't do that. Because you're just helping the devil out. 
Your past experiences oftentimes is what the devil uses to keep you in spiritual bondage, to keep you from fulfilling your divine destiny. He doesn't want you to understand, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. Amen? So the devil, that's spiritual warfare. That, that inner thinking, what's in your spirit and soul, what you're remembering all the time is who you become. Even as Christians, we can go to church for 10 years and never have understood these lessons and still struggle. And it's really, man, devil. Why are you having your way with so many people? Because they're struggling with this. They don't realize that they've been grafted in to a brand new history. A brand new heritage. A brand new destiny. It's not human DNA that defines my life anymore. It's spiritual DNA from Jesus Christ. By faith, I receive Jesus as Lord. Bam! New creation. Bam! New identity. Bam! New DNA. It's not based on race or nationality. There's one cross for all colors. There's just one family of God. And all of us, no matter who we are or where we came from, are all in that family because we now have a heavenly father and his life and his uh, promises are more true than our earthly father. Now that doesn't mean we can't appreciate our uh, earthly ancestry, but it's so important to realize you've got a new lineage and it all comes out of the Bible. Amen? It's spiritually based. This is why God changed Abraham's name from Abram. This is why Sarah's name was changed from Sarai. It's why Jacob became Israel. And why Saul became Paul. Because there's a new spiritual reality. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Write that on your chalkboard 500 times. Right? This is why Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? But those that do the will. He's not saying you reject your family. He's just saying that there's another DNA you haven't been taught about that's higher than earthly DNA. And you need to surround yourself with people that do the will of God. Because they become your spiritual family. So as Christians, we've got to assimilate into this mindset. We've got to learn how to become, as, as uh, Pastor Greg used to say, believing believers. <laughs> Will somebody be a believing believer? Anybody here want to be a believer? Are you a believing believer? This means that we have to educate ourselves on the promises of God. I mean, if all you know right now is John 3.16, I mean, that, that's, that's okay. 
But there's so much more than John 3.16. We need to learn to declare who we are in Christ. Don't we? That's why one of my handouts today in the back is the I am handout. 40 I am's. I am more than a conqueror. Amen? We need to learn how to prayerfully make proclamations over our life, like in the Lord's Prayer. You don't spend all of your time in prayer complaining to God about what you don't have. When am I going to get this? When am I going to get that? Gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. Part of prayer is uh, proclaiming and prophesying the word of God over your life. Because we don't have it all. It's all there in front of us, but we haven't entered into it all and we haven't seen the manifestation of it all. So every day, could you not tarry? Could you not pray? Pray without ceasing. You begin to proclaim some things. I can do all things through Jesus Christ. I am blessed and highly favored. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. And you go on and on and on. You know, you become like a spiritual terminator. And you terminate every work of darkness that's coming against you. And you release the power and blessing of God. This is why you do Shabbat. This is why we do communion. This is why we celebrate biblical holidays and not just Halloween. Our kids know more about Halloween than they know about Passover. Our kids know more about Valentine's Day than they know about Feast of Tabernacles. That's a crime. So, we're supposed to develop uh, all of this new way of thinking and get rid of all the carnal things. It's It's a lifetime worth of work, isn't it? But Revelation 12.11, turn over to Revelation 12.11, and they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus' part. He shed his blood seven places so that you and I could be set free in every area of life. And by the word of their testimony. That's your part. What is your testimony? Stop uh, giving your testimony. And start giving your testimony. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I am healed. I am strong. I am an overcomer. I have victory. I have dominion and authority over every work of darkness. Your testimony isn't your life before Christ. Although some of that weaves in. Don't tell everybody how bad it was. Tell everybody how good it is. 
And this is what Romans 12, 2 is trying to get across to us. Be transformed by renewing your mind. Don't let the memories and your history in the natural be the defining uh, uh, moments of your life. Let what God is doing in your life define you. And this is how you begin to reframe your memories and reframe who you are and you transition from being identified by all the pain and suffering into identifying with Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 26 might sound like this in modern day language. I just wrote something. It says, I was wandering through life before I came to Jesus. I had no true destiny or purpose, and my identity and ancestry was rooted in earthly, not heavenly things. The enemy had blinded my eyes and made me only able to see what he wanted me to see. But then I had a life-changing encounter with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All of a sudden, my eyes were open. I suddenly knew I was a new creature in Christ, and my destiny took on a whole new meaning. That's what we're talking about. How many of you here today have experienced something like this, that transformation where you knew you went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Amen? That's a big part of the foundation of your spiritual life. If everything that you remember is all about the past before Christ, that's not a good thing. you got to transition out of that into knowing that my life now is hidden in Christ. Amen? Because, see, your past, your flesh, worldly forces, spiritual forces, all want to take you back and live in that era of turmoil and strife and confusion and tension. This is why young pastor Timothy was told in 1 Timothy 6.12, Fight on for God. Hold tightly to the eternal life that God has given you and that you have confessed with such a ringing confession before many witnesses. Does your confession of Jesus Christ still ring true? Can you look back and think about those early days in Christ and, and can, it get you st- can you still be excited about that? There might even be times when it brings you to tears. Tears of joy. Thank you, Jesus. Because I was down for the count. I was lost with no hope and the devil had me right where he wanted me. And then, bam, suddenly a bright shining light came into my spirit. And God redeemed me. He saved me. He he delivered me. And he gave me a new life and a new beginning. I can't thank you enough, Jesus. You better guard that. You better preserve that. Because that's how you separate yourself from all the ugliness. In 
in what we're seeing today, there's people and forces uh, unleashed in America today that want to take America back to the worst sinful parts of our history. Why would they want to do that? God doesn't do that. We've repented of that. Not everyone. We still need some more repenting. But this church doesn't act like that. There's one cross for all colors. We're not judging people because of their background, the color of their skin, their nationality. Racism is a sin. And America was involved with that. But America was also involved in abolishing that. We haven't come far enough. But we don't have to walk around with our heads hanging down like we're a bunch of losers and never did anything about it. God doesn't handle it that way. I did not send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus the world might be saved. So condemnation isn't the way forward. And the devil uses condemnation of the things we fail to do. If I woulda, coulda, shoulda. And to keep us locked in all of that so we can't move forward. And so one of the big takeaways for today is what we believe about ourselves has major consequences in our life. We're basically, there's, there's two kinds of identities that are going to shape you and I. Uh, one of those is from heaven through Christ. Or the other one is earthly and carnal experiences. Which one's going to define you? Back in 1984, when we gave our lives to Christ, I was broke, busted, and disgusted. I had no vision, no hope. I had ruined every relationship. I had separated myself from everyone and moved 3,000 miles away. And then when I unpacked my suitcase, all my problems were unpacked with it. I couldn't run far enough from my problems. When I came to the altar, just like all of you guys, I came to the altar. I mean, it was life-changing for me. I wasn't a little choir boy. I needed some serious salvation and deliverance. But once I received salvation and deliverance, I got busy trying to learn the covenant. Who am I in Christ? What does Christ promise me? I needed more than just now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. Right? I needed more than just John 3.16. And I hope I see that guy next Sunday night with the, the uh, John 3.16 sign. <laughs> And the the uh, the colored hair, <laughs> although I think that there's no fans uh, uh, for many of the uh, the football, but you know it's still a wonderful memory. But this is why many suffer with identity crisis. 
because they're still struggling or no one ever taught them. Traditional religion doesn't teach you this, that you need to take off the old man, get rid of all the old thinking and put on the new thinking, put on the new man in Christ. How many of you are doing that? I see all those hands. So as we close this morning, here are four things to remember about your identity in Christ. Number one, God created you in his image. Yeah? What God did at creation reminds us that God values each and every person, no matter what continent you were born on, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what your background, God created each person in His image. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't make a mistake when He made me white. I don't need to apologize for that. You don't need to apologize that you're black, that you're Asian, that you're this, that you're that. Hopefully you're not pinstriped or polka dot. Number two, God's love for you never fails. God's love for you never fails and it never changes, right? Romans 8 talks about that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No doctrine of demons that tries to condemn you for who you are can separate you from the love of God. Amen? Number three, God genuinely cares about the details of your life. If, if a, a, a sparrow can't fall to the ground without God's notice, if he numbers every hair on our head, some of us have more hair on our head than others, every time I go to Great Clips and I say, how's it look up there? <laughs> oh, you're doing good. He cares. Cast your cares upon the Lord. The Apostle Peter says, because he cares for you. Amen? And uh, the fourth thing, God created you for a divine purpose. It's not just the pastor's job. We all have a role to play in the body of Christ. We all have a divine purpose, don't we? We were created to do good things on this earth, to be the light of the world. And the fact that you're here learning and embracing and understanding all of this shows that you're getting it. Amen. So you all get a gold star. And those of you listening on the podcast or on the CD, you get a gold star too. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just stop right there. Let's give the Lord a praise.